morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Awesome. Really fun time. No one wants to sit except Lori's got the whole section to herself here. Good job. I think they're coming back. There looks like there's people coming back. Um, happy Mother's Day to everybody. Um, just appreciate uh, everybody coming out and being here today. Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are watching online. Totally aware at the same time that while Mother's Day is a celebration, like it can be a hard day for some people, you know? Some people are hurting because they didn't have a great relationship with their mother, and, and so this is a sort of can be a painful holiday, or maybe they want to be a mother, uh, are not able to. So just wanted to say to everybody, no matter where you're at on this Mother's Day, um, happy that you're here, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of mixed feelings that can happen. Um, but God is good. God is good. We can celebrate. We can celebrate because God is gracious and kind, and he takes care of us. And so uh, no matter what's going on with you, just welcome and happy Mother's Day. Um, if you missed last week, we talked really briefly. I made, we made a little announcement, and that's that we are we're going to do some things over the summer here in order to kind of improve this very nice building that we have. Um, and we're trying to do a few things, particularly around like focusing on kids. We're going to put in that playground, um, we're going to do some updates to the main building, the Club 47 room, put in some new carpet, and then update this lobby, put in brand new carpet in here, because I think this carpet is as old as me. And I'm not very old, but I'm old enough that if I were carpet, I would need to be replaced. <laughs> Great analogy. Uh, it's, <laughs> I apologize. Don't, so that's not scripted, in case you didn't, didn't know. I'm just off the cuff here. Um, but we're just trying to raise a little bit of money towards that. We've already raised like in one week, and I'm not, you, were, if you, you probably weren't here last week because almost no one was here last week. Uh, so if you were, congratulations. But even in that time where there was almost no one here, y'all went on vacation, planned it together. Good job. Um, we still raised $7,000 towards our goal just in, in the last week. And so, you know, we still got a little ways to go. If you want to be a part of just helping us get towards that goal, uh, we'd love to invite you to be a part of that. And we want to get that playground in as soon as possible because even though it's supposed to be sunny right now, it's not. But we, we think it's coming, right? We, we are hoping that it's coming. And so we want to be ready and to have the kids be able to, to be out there for it. So... That's my announcement. Moving on, uh, we are in our a series. You know, we've been talking about uh, this series, talking about everyday discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple in your everyday, day-to-day life? Uh, what we have been trying to show to you throughout this series is that Jesus has called the disciples. That's what he's doing. Not just people who like like Jesus, are into Jesus, or have this label that they think of, that they wear, that they're Christians. Jesus is is doing something he's calling disciples. And disciples are people who have first put their faith in Jesus, their trust in him, and then they set themselves to live the way he taught his disciples to live. That's what a disciple is. It's, it's, it's beyond a simple like, okay, I, I, I believe in you. It's, it's, more, it's more than just head. It's, it's a life devotion to Jesus. And, and the first disciples followed Jesus, and Jesus taught them not only what to believe, right, the right things to believe, but how to live a certain kind of life, a life that's full of what we would call spiritual disciplines. And, and these disciplines weren't like heavy obligations. They weren't like things that were difficult for them to do. They're actually just like helpful behaviors and habits that end up shaping the character and spiritual lives of the people who practice them. 
I put this definition up every single Sunday, and I'm doing it again, how Dallas Willard defines disciplines. He says, disciplines are activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. See, Jesus got it. Jesus understood the way life is. Jesus lived a certain kind of life, and he trained his disciples to live a certain kind of life because he believed and taught that by living that kind of life, they would be able to experience the presence of God. They would be able to to know and walk with God on a daily basis. See, they had been taught uh, uh, to have faith in Jesus, But they lived in the power of that faith, in its power by being a disciple, by practicing disciplines, by following after Jesus with their whole lives, not just thinking certain things about him. And they lived a life consistent with their faith, their trust, and their hope in who Jesus said he was. See, the disciplined life is a life that is organized, organized, right? It's, it's an organizing principle around the, around the idea of knowing God and living in a daily relationship with him. And, and dis, uh, the disciplined life uh, is disciplined for the purpose of being present with God, not to be serious, not to be mature, whatever, like maturity, as far as a discipleship is concerned, is to live a life where God's present, where we can, we can pray to him and we know him and we're filled with the spirit and we're living a life that is well-pleasing to him. And this week, uh, I was reminded of one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture uh, by, by somebody in a conversation, uh, 2 Corinthians 3. It's like an awesome uh, passage where Paul is describing what it means like to have a spiritually, spiritual life, and he's kind of describing the dynamics of spiritual transformation. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. He says, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, you might be thinking, okay, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, so we understand what freedom is. But then we have this idea about what disciplines are, and they seem to be like almost opposite. Right? Aren't dis- how, how do disciplines and freedom go together? If the Spirit's work uh, is freeing, aren't we free to just live however we want? Isn't that okay? Isn't uh, that what this whole faith in Jesus thing is about, where I'm forgiven and I'm free and I'm set free, and isn't that, isn't that what it's about? And I would say, yes, actually, it is. It is, it is totally about that. What Paul describes as, he uses this language like the glory of the new covenant, and that's what he's talking about in this, in this passage, this new covenant, these promises from Jesus. He talks about the promises that Jesus secured for those who trust in him, and they're all about freedom in the spirit. They're all about being set free. The question is, free from what? What, what are we free from? What are we free from by trusting in Jesus? See, the Bible prescribes the problem uh, that people suffer from in a very singular way. Uh, there's a common problem that everybody has, and it's the biblical word is sin. 
okay? And I know, like, culturally, like, we think that that's a lot of different things, but it's really just this simple idea of, of, of something's happened in our lives. There's, there's been something, it's, it's, it's somewhat moral, it's, um, and, it, and it's disrupting our relationship with God. You guys probably know, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard Romans 3, uh, 23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, there's a major problem that everyone is stuck in. We've all sinned. We fall short of God's glory. The world, everyone in it, has this predicament. And that's why we all, in various ways and in various degrees, have been just caught up in sin. We're, we're surrounded by sin. We're surrounded by a broken world, a world that is ignoring God, has no, no awareness of it. And we participate in that ignorance almost in a willful way. We're guilty of that. And we have no means, right? And this is the problem. We have no means in and of ourselves to be free from that. I can't get out of, 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 of sin and the consequences of it simply by deciding to be free from it. What I find, what Paul talks about later on in the book of Romans, is that whenever I try to do that, I find that there's sin still at work in me. I'm always stuck in the same place over and over and over again. Sin is a problem. And in Jesus' day, Israel, right, because he was Jewish, he was following this way of Israel, the, the revelation from God, Israel was aware of the problem of sin in a very serious way. They knew. But Israel had an advantage. They had a gift from God, one that none of the nations around them had. They had the revelation from God, which was this law, the law of Moses. So they believed, they understood the problem of sin in a way that other nations didn't. And because they had God telling them, hey, these things are sin, and here's a way that you can restrain sin in your life. You can practice the law. See, they believed that the law, the commandments of God, would help them to be righteous and not sinners, like just and not unjust. And they thought that this law was a gift. This law from God was a gift because it showed them clearly what sin is and that sin is condemned and that uh, the way of righteousness trusting in God, listening to him, is commended. They had a wisdom about what God wants from people. And they were invited to turn from sin by following this law and honoring God by following this law. And they understood it to be a glorious thing. Their law, their obligations were glorious. Even Paul agrees that it was glorious. 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 3.9, he says, if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, right? And he's saying if, but he actually does mean it has, there was some glory to it, right? There was glory in the fact that God told people, would, would, would bother to look at all of us like so messed up and, and all like wandering around that he would look at people and just say, hey, you guys have really messed up. Can I, can I tell you there's a better way? There's a way to, to, to live life that is better than the way that you're living? There was glory in that. The law was a gift from God. Israel thought of the law as a gift because they had a way to recognize sin, leave it behind at least to a degree. But what Paul explains and what Jesus came to reveal is that there was something even greater than that. 2 Corinthians 3.9 goes on. He says, right, he says, if the ministry of condemnation had brought glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. What Paul points out is that Jesus' ministry, this, this new covenant is the language that he used, um, this is the way 
that the, uh, of the spirit that brings freedom, uh, it was even more glorious than this law of Israel. The law given to Israel was, was glorious revelation because they could see what sin was and why it was such a problem, but knowing a problem doesn't actually equip you to fix it, right? Well, there's a lot of problems that I know I have. I have no way to fix them. The law was a stopgap for sin. It restrained sin for a time, but the ministry of Jesus, it overflows with more glory because it can actually bring about forgiveness, transformation, righteousness, true freedom from sin. There's real forgiveness of sin, real and permanent dealing with the issue of sin by trusting in Jesus. And not just like forgiveness like, oh, like God just doesn't care anymore but like a forgiveness that leads me into a real relationship with, with God and that can lead to real transformation, real and experienced freedom from sin. How does that happen? Well, it's like what, like, well, the verse we already looked at, where the Lord, uh, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, we are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's freedom for those who know Jesus, not because they're better. There's nothing about the people who know Jesus, who follow after him. There's nothing about them that is particularly good, but the goodness and transformation comes from people who are just looking to God, looking at his glory, just, just trusting in him, caring about what he thinks looking to Jesus, our Savior. And as, as those people are, are, are present with him, looking at him with an unveiled face, no shame, no separation, just, just relationship, that, those people are being transformed into the same image. Like Christ-likeness is the goal of discipleship, to become like Jesus, to love the way he loved, to care about people the way he cared about to care about the things he cared about, to be gentle, meek, mild, loving, all the things that he embodied. We are being transformed into that same image. That's the goal. The new covenant that Jesus secures is, uh, and established, it's freedom. Not to do whatever I want, because honestly, I don't want to do whatever I want. I don't want the burden of unlimited freedom. Come on. Like, you know, like, like people who win the lottery, that's a terrible thing to have happen to you. Honestly, like, like you have so much means, you have no idea what to do with it. Like, what do you do with so much freedom? You could do anything you want in your life. Like, how, who's to say? Like, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know the first step. I would, I would probably be so anxious that I was going to mess everything up. Like, that's not the kind of freedom that I'm interested in. But freedom to leave sin behind, freedom to love God, freedom to be filled with purpose and meaning in my life, uh, freedom from the things that God hates, like the things that the, the Bible calls like the stuff of the flesh, right? Like Galatians 5, 19, 20, 21, that's like a list of, of flesh stuff, like bad stuff. Like I can be free from these. Like the list goes on. It's like sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. And we think, well, I can avoid all those things. But how about idolatry, sorcery, okay, yeah, no problem. I don't, I don't have a lot of sorcery in my life, right? Oh, but here's some things that are kind of hard. Hatreds, strife, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. 
like, I can't do a lot about these things on my own. But God can do things about these things in my life. You can't change your heart. I can't change my heart. I can't change what's inside of me. That's the problem. That's the inability that I have. I can't change what's in me. You can't, like, like if, if Jesus says the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, how can you do that? I don't have a way of doing that. I can't do it by, by choosing it. I can't do it by being smart enough or, or pious enough or being spiritual enough. But what, what the new covenant is all about and what Jesus goes out of his way to make us know is that, is that you can have those things. You can have transformation as you just spend time in God's presence, as you just look to him, as you worship him in spirit and in truth. You'll find that as you do that, you actually will come to love him. You come to love the things that he loves. And you'll come to, 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 to hate these things in your life. Like the, not just hate, I mean, hate that's, the, that's not the word for it. You come to realize how useless and pointless hanging on to this stuff is and how much better it is to walk in his ways. And you come to overflow with righteousness and you leave these things behind. But what does it take? It actually takes discipline. Not the discipline that we think, not the discipline of just making good choices and suppressing the flesh and just like beating yourself up and having all of this ways. It's the discipline, right, of simply just looking at the face of Jesus, understanding that I've been accepted, I've been forgiven, I'm loved, I'm now a child of God because of what Jesus has done. It's the discipline of, of putting on that grace, letting it wash over my life being filled with the freeing power of the Spirit, being, being washed by that grace, putting it to work. Paul talks about that. He makes the much of the grace of God. Making much of the grace of God is the discipline of daily, hourly, looking to Jesus who set us free and is transforming our hearts. It's the discipline of applying the freedom of grace. G.K. Chesterton, an old English dude, said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And it's difficult because the simple discipline of bringing myself to Jesus and, and just, just like meditating upon the freedom that I have in him and the fact that he's, he's done so much for me, it's hard. It takes a little discipline. And it's the sort of discipline that truthfully is not at all hard, but I'm just like kind of lazy. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm, my, my, I'm trying not to look at my wife. Because <laughs> she'd say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, No, she wouldn't do that. I think it's particularly difficult in today's world, right? Um, because we are very busy and we live in a very solution-oriented world. Like we think we can just fix stuff. Like we know how to fix stuff. So we want to just fix stuff. And this way of being transformed by simply being present with God and trusting with him, it doesn't really scratch that itch, does it? It doesn't seem like it should be the thing that actually fixes everything and changes my life. But spiritual disciplines are God's way of putting grace to work in our lives. And so today we're going to just look at one particular discipline. Um, it's the discipline, and it's, it's a particularly counterintuitive one, given our social conditioning. It's just the discipline of silence and solitude. Getting alone with God and just sitting in silence, listening to him. Um, 
There are two disciplines, right? Silence and solitude. You can practice them individually, but they almost always go together because, you know, it's hard to be uh, silent when you're not alone, okay? So we're going to think of them together. But silence and solitudes are really important disciplines. Uh, They're the ones that Jesus practiced regularly. If you read the Gospels, you always see Jesus getting alone. Uh, For example, Matthew 17. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, Matthew 14. Uh, he says, immediately he, he made his disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him and on the other side. And while, when he sent away the crowds, and after he sent away the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And it was evening. And he was there alone. What we see throughout the Gospels is, is examples of things like this, where, where Jesus is super busy. Everybody wants to be around him. He's got this entourage of people called disciples. And what he does, he says, you guys go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to stay back here with the crowd. And then when he gets to the crowd, he says, you guys need to leave me alone. Because I really need, even though you have so many demands on me, and like it seems so urgent and so important that you to continue to be in the crowd and be active and doing ministry, what Jesus says is, I need to just get alone. And so I'm going to make time for that. Jesus gets away, and he does it consistently throughout the Gospels. And he teaches his disciples to do the same thing, right? There wasn't just something that he did. He teaches them to do it as well. Matthew 17, 1, he says, Six days later, Jesus took uh, with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up on the mountain by themselves, right? He says, regularly takes his disciples and he trains them in this discipline of getting alone, being silent, worshiping the Lord in a separate place, Luke 9, 10, when the apostles returned uh, from this missionary journey they went on, they gave an account to him of all that they had done, and taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. I think that's funny. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself. How does that work? I don't know. Right? I think it works that he's training them to do this solitary work of getting alone, right? And so he's prob- it probably was a pretty quiet walk to Bethsaida, right? Just saying, look, I'm going to withdraw. This is what we're doing, but I'm going to train you to do the same thing. You're going to come with me, and you're going to see what it's like to just be silent and, and, and quiet before the Lord. Jesus knew that while both he and his disciples had a lot of work to do, they had a more urgent need to sit alone and be with God and be in his presence. And I think it's so easy for us to miss out on that because it's easy for us to think, oh, well, that was Jesus. And you know, Jesus just, just loved the Father so much. He just loved God so much. He was always like wanting to be alone. He was just acting out of his great affection that he had for God. And maybe someday I'll love the Lord that much and I'll be able to just go alone by myself. But eh, not right now. Well, let me say, I don't think Jesus was primarily acting out of his affections. I mean, certainly he loved the Father, but I think rather Jesus was acting and teaching his disciples to act from an understanding of just how the world works, according to this like spiritual dynamic that we talked about already, about, about, about what Paul unpacks is that there is a transformative work that happens when we just come to God and we just listen to him. Jesus understands the spiritual dynamics that are at play. He understands that for people to grow spiritually and to grow in a love and affection for God, they need to be alone with him. Jesus also saw, though, how the conditions of the world make that so difficult, which, which, which led to the urgency with which he pursued silence and solitude. Jesus saw the things that like Israel has known about for a long time, like prophet Habakkuk, you know, several hundred years before Jesus. He saw that clearly, that the world is just full of busyness 
And what, what Habakkuk describes is, is it basically like, it's just like a factory of idols. The world is just full of idol worship. It's a place that is lousy with, with false gods and false promises and futile pursuits. In Habakkuk 2, the prophet calls this out. He says, what use is a carved idol after its craftsman, craftsman carves it? It's only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts it shapes trust in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. If you're not familiar with kind of like ancient pagan rituals, right? Who is, right? Um, they were all about worshiping idols. And so in pagan idolatry, which was always a problem with Israel, like they were called to worship God and God alone, but there was always this pagan idolatry creeping into Israel. We kind of read that in the, in the Old Testament um, it was a worship of a spiritual power in the form of an image, usually like a statue. So they would like worship these statues, and they would, they would commission an idol from an idol maker and say, I want an idol of this you know, god, and I'm going to worship this, this, this little god, and, and then I'm going to get the things that this god provides, right? So they would co- commission an idol to be created by a craftsman, and then they would bring that idol to like a, a person, a priest of this fake god, this, this little god, and they would perform a ritual to breathe life into it and bring it alive, and then they would, they would worship it. But what Habakkuk sees is that it's just a, a useless practice. Even though everybody's doing it, it's a useless practice because, because like, it doesn't do anything. But I think it's really interesting because he says clearly, like later he says, an idol can't speak. Like it's not, gonna, it's not a lie. It's not going to speak. And yet what he also says, that an idol is a teacher of lies. How does it teach lies if it can't speak? An idol teaches without speaking because it leads people to listen for a voice that will never be heard. An idol teaches misplaced hope and wasted worship. And our world is full of idols, full of misplaced hope and wasted worship, full of seeking to hear from something or someone or some idea that will never actually speak Habakkuk goes on, he says, Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to a mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there's no breath in it at all. What Jesus understood is the same thing that Habakkuk understood is that people are always walking around in life, creating idols, saying to things which cannot speak, wake up. Things that will never have life in them, never have been bring meaning or purpose. We're saying, speak to those things. Come alive. We want to find meaning in what we do. Like We want to find meaning in life, in our, in our jobs, and in money, and power, and all the other pursuits. We put our expectations in things that can never meet them. We seek after stuff that just will not satisfy. The world is full of misplaced hopes. We look for power and peace and joy and meaning in all the wrong places. That's how it was back then. That's how it is now, perhaps even more so. I think most of us would would, um, at least entertain the possibility that that's true. Because I don't know anyone who really feels like they have all their life figured out or feels like their life is just like perfectly tuned up. Question, though, is like, okay, so, so what do we do about it? Interestingly, Habakkuk had an answer, right? He, he recognizes this idol worship and all these problems, all these, this noise of the world. He has an answer 
a solution for what to do. He says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Very simple solution. In the middle of a busy world that's always looking for meaning and purpose, but never finding it, it's a simple solution. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. I want you to, to think for a second, okay? Because like, especially if, you're, if you are a Christian, uh, if you are somebody who, who uh, worships God, I want you to think for a second. Uh, when you read this verse, what is the, like, let the whole earth be silent in his presence. What does the voice sound like in your head? Does it sound like anger? Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Like, does it sound like, um, like, like a condemning voice or does it sound like a freeing voice? Does it sound like, let the whole earth be silent in his presence, like it's a, like it's a great thing, a great thing to be silent in the presence of God? Or does it sound like, like, oh, you, like the earth is just so, like you people are so stupid and you were idol worshipers and you're the word, you shut up, right? Is that the sound of the voice that, that, that's speaking when you read this in your head? Or is it the voice of God saying, just listen to me? Because if you just listen to me, you'd find that I have good things to tell you. Things so much better. See, see I just think a lot of us are full of shame, <laughs> A lot of us are full of shame for the things we've done, for the, for the sin, like in our lives, and like we're acutely aware of the sin thing. But Jesus' way is not the way of shame, it's the way of freedom. Like the, the relationship with God is not coming into a relationship with a God who condemns and who is like just like letting us eke by and maybe he'll be merciful. Relationship with God is a relationship with a God who has said, I'm gonna covenant to you, promise to you in a way that I will not take it away, that you're gonna have forgiveness and love and peace and I'm gonna accept you. And if you just simply come to me, Repent, trust in me. The voice of the one who says, let the whole earth keep silent in his presence is the voice that would speak and speak a better word than condemnation if only we'd listen. The world is crazy and it's noisy and it gets us so caught up, but silence is an invitation to know God and to hear him speaking despite all the craziness and all the, the other options that are out there. See, God wants us free, free from all the voices that actually just keep us from him, keep us stuck in our old way of doing things. Dallas Willard uh, saying about what this is, I love, I love what he says. He says, solitude frees us, actually. This explains its primacy and priority among the disciplines the normal course of day-to-day -day human interactions locks us into a pattern of feeling, thought, and action that are geared to a world set against God. That's the world in the grips of sin. Like, like it's not just like sin, I have, I have guilt in my life or something because I've done some, some moral, something that's morally problematic. It's that I am in a world and tuned into a world where my feeling and thoughts and actions are all kind of set against God as in just totally ignorant of him. The thoughts that I, that, I, that I think are not thoughts of an awareness of who God is, an awareness of that he's made himself available, that he's present with people. Actually, they're, they're, they're thoughts of thinking that, no, God is distant. 
my, my feelings are not a feelings of like saying, okay, I, I understand what Jesus has said to me, and so I'm going to rejoice because I know that God has, has, is, is with me. He's opened a way so that I can have a relationship with him by forgiving me and giving me new life. My, my, my thoughts are not those thoughts. They're usually, oh, what have I done, and how terrible am I, and I'm so apart from God. My thoughts are like tainted with sin. And my actions, you know, my actions are not seeking after the Lord, being silent before him, looking to him to fulfill. My actions lead me to just being busy and trying to find meaning other places. This is the problem, the problem that silence and solitude could fix. Nothing, going on with this quote, nothing but solitude can allow the development of a freedom from the ingrained behaviors that hinder our integration into God's order. God has set up the world in such a way that he wants to be present and he wants to be heard. He wants his people to listen to him, have, be worshiping him, experiencing him on a day-to-day basis. But so much, we have so many habits and things that just need to be unlearned. And we can unlearn those in silence and solitude. We can unlearn those habits of sin by just coming to the Lord, praying, sitting quietly, listening for his voice. They're essential disciplines. Again, not because you're so bad and you don't deserve to say anything, right? But just, just because uh, it's in silence that we can come and we could know the world as Jesus knew it, a world where God is present, where he's speaking, where he's leading us in our day-to-day lives. The problem is we're just not listening. So we need to learn the habits of listening, And so the solution is simple, right? The solution is simple. And the, the discipline that I just would encourage you guys to do is just spend some time alone with God doing nothing. Turn off your phone. They have off buttons. I'm not sure if you know there's a way to turn it off. It's, they don't make it actually that easy. <laughs> but you can turn it off. You can go withdraw. I, like, I don't need to. This funny thing is like I don't need to explain to you how to do this. Like everybody knows how to be alone. It's a very intuitive and yet how often do we do it, right? Everybody, everybody's capable of getting alone and being undistracted and sitting quietly before God. Why did I just cross my hands? I don't know what that, that feels weird. Um, everybody knows how to do that. So here's my, my big practical application thing. Just do it. Just like spend an hour this week. Could be on your day off. It doesn't have to, like one hour this week just sitting quietly before the Lord. Just, and just, just maybe take some, some thoughts, some thoughts that you know are true in there with you, you know, not false things, but true things. So, so, so spend some time reading the Bible and then just like go out and sit with, with Jesus for a little while and just say, Lord, I'm just like going to sit before you. I, I think you have good things. I think you're God who speaks, right? When, when we quiet down our lips a little bit, quiet our minds, you actually speak to us, right? And so just, just go out there with that expectation. Spend one week, one, one hour this week doing that. Maybe, maybe even do it the week after. I would commend you to do it, to practice those things and to see what happens. I think, I think sometimes in, in our world, you know, in the United States uh, in 2022, um, we can sometimes think that practices, like, because we're so heady, right? We, we have a faith that's really about uh, doctrinal things, and it's important that we have right, right beliefs. But we've, we've lost sight of practice, and then sometimes we, we start to think about stuff like this, like being silent before the Lord, and we think, well, that sounds like meditation, or it sounds like Eastern, or something like that, right? But let me just tell you, Christians have been doing this for like two millennia. It's only recently that we've forgotten about this stuff. 
Like it's only recently that we have lost a sense of the, of the value. And it's because, because we, again, we, we think everything should just be quick fix solutions. But God is going to do a work of grace in your life over time and by sustained relationship, by coming to him and quieting your mind and just, just listening to him. That's how he works. And so to be frank, if you are not taking up some of these disciplines and you are also frustrated by spiritual development, then I think that you should put two and two together, <laughs> okay? I just encourage you with that, you know, because I get it. Like I, I, I went through a lot of my life, probably about 20 years of my life as a Christian, just frustrated, like nothing was working. Like I feel like I'm doing the right things. The truth is that the church... Uh, in America has kept you guys too busy and kept you from God. And so I repent to that because I've been a part of this game for a while, right? No, that's no, not a game. That sounds disrespectful. But you know what? I've, I've been a pastor and I've been a pastor at, at my previous church, which was a, which was a busy church. And, and I, there was a time when I thought, oh, actually the way that spiritual maturity is going to be developed in people is if we just program and program and keep people busy, keep people learning all the time. And learning and study is good. Nothing better than getting along with the Lord though. So as the worship team comes up here, I um, just want to share one final thought. I, I, I realize there's a certain irony about getting up with a microphone on and talking for 35 minutes about silence. That, that, that was the first thing I thought when I started to prepare this message. I'm like, well, that seems a little weird, doesn't it? Um, but I think like, like teaching the word for, for a while has taught me... Um, a lot about the value of silence. Uh, because every pastor knows, every pastor knows uh, that you can prepare a message, you can pray about it, it can be spirit-filled, it can be good, um, but it can only go so far. Words can only go so far. Me encouraging you to think things about the word and, and, and to understand it, it can only go so far. The best preaching, the best preaching, and I'm not counting myself ugh, in, in that group, but the best, most powerful preachers can only lead their hearers to the cusp of something. I can only point you to a way that Jesus says things work. Words have limitations. Thinking has an end. And feelings, good feelings, will only get you so far. But the best, like most worshipful, most faithful thing you can do is to just do this thing which feels maybe a little awkward in the beginning, um, and feels inconvenient and is going to demand of your time, which is for you to go, because I can't do it for you, but for you to go, sit with God, humbly, and just, just expect him to speak, right? Because, because like a lot of times, like, I feel like pastors like love to hype people up, Right? Because because you guys like it, and we like it, and everybody likes it. It's great, right? Um, but uh, like this is beyond hype. That's the thing is that like like you get alone with God and you start to think, well, there's no songs and there's no worship, and I just start to be alone with my thoughts, and then I don't like to be alone with my thoughts. Like you need to take up the work of just like seeking the Lord for yourself. I just want to encourage you guys to do that. You can speak truth to yourself. Like you can go out from this place and not just let it end here if it's been an encouragement and let it end here. But I'm just saying like you can go on Monday and Tuesday and every day, be an everyday disciple, somebody who's listening to God day by day. It'll be so much better than any message I could ever give to you. 
be so much better than any word that I could ever speak. Because I can only say to you what I think will lead you to the place where God will speak to you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to build you up. God wants to deal with the stuff in your life that you just don't know how to deal with. God wants to do that transforming work, transforming you into an image of his own likeness. Silence is the invitation we give to God, right? It's us giving that invitation to God. God, speak. Speak to me. I'm going to just like listen for you. Would you heal me, Lord? Would you bless me? Would you reveal to me the things that I know? Would you lead me by your still waters? All these promises that you have. When we're silent before the Lord, when we turn to him, that's when he actually meets us. And so I just wanted to encourage you guys as you go out, do it. Don't just think it. Don't just think it's a good idea if you think it's a good idea, but do it because he's faithful. He's going to meet you there. So let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this day. We thank you for all the mothers in the room. And Lord, we thank you for the people in our lives, the ways you bless us. Lord, you surround us with people who care about us in the same way that you surround us with your word, Lord. It, it guides us. It leads us, Lord. Your spirit is filling us. It's leading us to know you, to worship you. And so, Lord, we just want to go where you want to lead us, Lord. We want to go the way that you've made, Lord, which is the way of following after you, trusting in you, being filled with your spirit, Lord. Would you transform us, God? Lord, we don't want to be the coolest church. I don't care about that. But, Lord, we want to be people who know you and walk with you. Lord, would you make us people who are filled with your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name.